1: each and every day from 3 to 5 right here on KKLA. It's good to be with you and bring you to the conversation for some encouragement, some fun, some conversation about the issues of the day from a Christian perspective, and maybe get some thoughts from you. You can give us a call right here at 888-528-2557, 888-LA-TALKS. You can also send an email to the show at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com. Once again, that number is 888-528-2557, and uh, you can join us uh, for the conversation. You know, it's um, Tuesday, and I on another show that I had been hosting before this one, every Tuesday since the pandemic, I started talking about Taco Tuesday. Do you do Taco Taco Tuesday. The reason I did that, the reason that I, and every Tuesday I talk about whatever taco I'm in the mood for, and the truth is, is I do. I go get them a lot of the time. Um, sometimes I make them at home and, you know, I develop uh, different theories about, you know, why is there three rolled tacos and not four most of the time? You can get three or five, but not four. I think it's because three is the perfect number, or if you want more, then you're going to have to get five. Four is not enough. It's a longer story. But the reason for that, really, other than some fun with it, is that you get an opportunity to support local businesses who are dealing with the, the COVID and all of the problems. And a lot of our local businesses are still struggling economically, financially. Whenever the shutdown happened a couple of years ago and they started to reopen, you couldn't eat in a restaurant, but you could get takeout. I went to a Mexican place by my house and I ordered my food and it took an hour, literally an hour. And there were a few people waiting for food, but not a lot. But I noticed that the person in the kitchen looked too young to work there. And the there was one other person who was taking orders and then helping in the kitchen when there was nobody in line. And it just took forever. And we all kind of knew. Like today, if it took an hour, it might get a little bit you know, frustrating. But back then, everybody there knew, hey, this is um, a weird time we're in. And I'm just happy I can come get a burrito, right? Well... I asked the person taking orders who I think was the owner. I said, uh, Hey, how you doing? You know, how's it going? And she started to cry and she said, thank you for asking. And she said, it's really, really hard. It's really, really hard. And I had the impression that maybe the kid in the back was her son and they were just trying to make it. They were just barely trying to get there. Uh, so you know i would encourage you think about the uh, mom and pop shop nearby and even as we get past covid a little bit um, i think we're mostly done although i don't think we're totally done what are your thoughts about that um, you can join this conversation at 888-528-2557 wherever we're at there's still a lot of people who need help and you know one way to do that is just you know your your local shop Uh, help them out. If you're going to go get something to eat anyway, if you're going to spend the money, it's gotten expensive. You know, that burrito has gone from, you know, $5 to $35 or something now with inflation. Um, (laughs) It's, it's not far from that, is it? It's close and it's all going to keep going up. So we've got that going on. That is pretty difficult. I have been thinking a lot about, as I think a lot of us have been in the last couple of years, and where we're headed for, for now, it's an election year, and that, I think, is going to drive a lot of the conversation about COVID. I'm real curious to see what happens after the election in November. Are we going to have masks come back? And they're kind of they're coming back now in Los Angeles. They were back for three days in Philadelphia, and then they got rid of it. Um, I'm wondering what your feeling is about this. Uh, today, Vice President Kamala Harris, it was reported, uh, she has the covid and uh, this is how CNN dealt with it. It was breaking news on CNN. Go ahead and play that clip, Wilbert.
2: President Kamala Harris has tested positive for COVID-19, a source familiar uh, with that told our colleague Jasmine Wright. And then just a short while ago, the press secretary for Vice President Harris also put out a statement that she tested positive for COVID-19 on a rapid and PCR test today. Now, it's important to note that she has not been a close contact of President Biden because she has actually been traveling for the past week.
1: Now, that, uh, we, we definitely want her to get better and to not get sick. The report goes on to say that she doesn't have any symptoms, so this came up just with random testing that they are probably doing, and I think it's important that they do that because the President of the United States is definitely in the um, category of people who are most vulnerable to COVID-19. Kamala Harris got her uh, second booster shot uh, just a few weeks ago, but they're saying now that Some of those only last a few weeks, right? The CDC, I think, said that the Pfizer booster is only seven or eight weeks or something like that. Um, Not even to get into that. But as we think about this, a question I've got for you is, are you as alarmed as CNN is about this? It's a big deal if the vice president gets sick, and especially when you have an elderly president who, you know, you don't want him to get it. Um, He was definitely a threat. I don't know if it's as urgent as it was when President Trump got it when he was actually the president. Remember that? He got it right before the election, and uh, he probably had it at that debate. Most people think that first debate that was crazy uh, a couple of years ago. Did you know that uh, President Trump wanted to, supposedly, when he got out of the hospital, they gave him that Regeneron or something, and he got over it pretty quick. Uh, He wanted to come out with a Superman shirt under his T-shirt and pull it apart like Christopher Reeve in the Superman movie. Only, only Donald Trump could get away with that. Any other president doing that, it would have been insane. Him doing it, it would have been kind of crazy, but uh, his people would have laughed and everyone else would have said, oh, how immature, but everybody would have laughed. He would have got away with it. If Barack Obama did that or if George Bush did that, people would go, what's wrong with them? There must be something wrong. Anyway, um, is it that urgent? Um, how are you feeling about it? I go to the store in the the neighborhood where I live. It's college community. An interesting thing is it seems like most people in our community are either very young or very old. And at the beginning of the pandemic, all of the old folks in the supermarket were wearing masks. And the younger people, it was kind of hit and miss. But today, when I go in the store, two years later, most of the older people are not wearing masks. But almost all of the younger people are wearing masks. And I spent some time in the supermarket. Uh, I won't tell you which one it was. It's one of the Southern California brands. I think it's owned by a guy named Ralph. Anyway, I'm in the store and checking that out. And I'm real curious about that because it seems to me, and I'm not making a statement right now about right or wrong, but that's the choice that people are making with the masks. When you have a younger generation that doesn't trust the institutions of our society, and yet I'm looking at this going you – know, surveys are telling me that the younger people don't trust the institutions, and yet the only people wearing masks today, the only people who seem to be – not the only people, but in, in large numbers, at least in, in my, my – what I'm looking at. And maybe this is different where you live. I, rec- I recognize that this is not a scientific survey. But what I'm looking at is younger people wearing the masks and following the current CDC guidance, which says in certain circumstances indoors, you should still wear a mask. Um, They're doing it, but the older folks, mostly, not everybody, not everybody at all, but, you know, I would say the majority uh, have cast that aside. I just find that really interesting, and I'm wondering what we're going to learn as a culture during this time. I've got some hopes. I think that there is a lot of cynicism That is worse today, maybe, but maybe we can cut through that a little bit. Maybe I'll just ask you, are you just hopeless about the situation in our country and the way we respond? There's something that's really hard, I think, that's happening is that the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, uh, it has lost a lot of credibility. Uh, The comedians, the late night comedians are joking about it. Everybody's making a joke about it. And that's bad, right? Because this is an organization that is supposed to be probably the most trustworthy because it's dealing with with us. And uh, how are you feeling about this? 888-528-2557. That's the number, 888-528-2557. Have you lost hope or you're buried in your cynicism or are you in a place where you're saying, you know what, maybe the tide is turning and getting us back to some kind of firm foundation, Last week, uh, Dr. Fauci surfaced again, and it happened after the court in Florida took away the travel mask mandate, uh, that ruling, where there was great thunderous applause in all the airlines when uh, that happened. Delta has a sign up at the airport that says, we're so glad to see your smiles again. And um, my wife is flying later this week, and I'm so glad she doesn't have to wear the mask uh, while she's on the plane. Um, and for me, I'm glad that I don't have to sit there and, uh, you know, sip my coffee for five hours straight and tossing in a peanut, you know, every couple of seconds when somebody walks by. Um, and maybe you feel differently about that. And that's OK. I understand that. But this is something that was troubling that uh, Dr. Fauci said when asked about this order. Here's what he said. Play the clip.
3: Well, I I, I I clearly disagree. I mean, those types of things should be decided as a public health issue by the public health organizations, in this case, the CDC. This is a public health matter. This is not a judicial matter. Uh, The CDC has the obligation to protect the American public and they make their recommendations based on science and solid public health information. So obviously the CDC will abide by the order of the court because it's a legal obligation. But one of the problems that we have there is that the principle of a court overruling a public health judgment by qualified organization like the CDC is disturbing in the precedent that it might send.
1: Now, that comment got Dr. Fauci in a lot of trouble. Now, I'm I'm somebody who just I always want to have this disclaimer. We want to be nice. And Dr. Fauci. He's what I think he's eighty-one now, and I'm not saying this is an issue of age. What I'm saying is, is that he's been thrust into a national spotlight in all of this, and he's not trained in public policy. He is a a scientist who has worked for the National Institutes of Health, and he's kind of been behind the scenes. You didn't know his name. It's a weird thing, right? If you're if you're Dr. Fauci, and you're saying I'm seventy-nine years old, I'll probably retire and just have a quiet retirement. And uh, that's what you thought maybe a couple of years ago. And now half the country thinks you're brilliant and half the country hates you. Um, and you're dealing with all kinds of public pressure. That's a hard place to be in. So let's cut him some slack. However, a public official saying that there, we have a principle of a court overruling public health judgment is disturbing. And the precedent it might send, this is exactly why we have courts, by the way. This is why we have courts so the government entities can't just make decisions that cause you to close your business, that cause you to close down your, your uh, church, that cause you to um, change your entire lifestyle without some kind of evidence. It's interesting over the course of the last two years is the courts were actually very much in favor of the shutdowns and all of that originally, even the closing down of churches and other things. Originally, the courts were saying, no, this is a public health emergency, and we're going to allow these things to make. But over time, that began to change as the the emergency status of where we're at began to, to wane, at least I think in people's minds. And that, I think, is is the the difficulty, right? This is what he continued to say. The CDC has the capability through a large number of trained epidemiologists, scientists, to be able to make projections and to make recommendations far more than a judge with no experience in public health now that's an interesting statement because i would agree i'm not going to go to a judge for example if i need to go to the doctor right if i if i am not feeling well and i think i might be sick i'm not going to go to the court i don't care what the judge has to say i want to go to my doctor right but the purpose of this is not about making a determination of whether or not the disease is real or the recommendations are real. It's about what authority does this government entity have over our lives? And this is something that has been tremendously um, interesting over these past couple of years. What authority do you think the government should have over our lives, including public health? Are you convinced that the CDC is trustworthy? It used to be, or so I thought, you know, in the old days, two years ago, the old days, the picture in my mind was the best of our government watching out for infection and diseases was the CDC. And I thought I would have probably told you a couple years ago that, you know, everybody's influenced by their politics one way or the other, but that probably the CDC is of all the government entities, the most removed from it. But I don't think people believe that. That's turned out to be untrue, at least as far as the public relations go with the CDC. I'm sure there are lots of plenty of great scientists there. Uh, but I also think like any human being, they're not removed from political motivations or especially financial motivations, which leads to advocacy for things that are not as certain as originally claimed. The vaccine, for example, will we, we were told it will prevent transmission from person to person. Um, that was never true how many really believe that and how many were just saying that because of the politics at the time dr fauci said originally he was against wearing masks because he he admits that he in his mind he lied because he was afraid there wouldn't be enough masks available for healthcare workers but that undermines everything about him right that that admission which may or may not be true you know one way or the other he wasn't telling the truth that's a big problem how do we recover this the the Late-night comedians are making jokes, not just the right-wing people. Okay, it's left and right. I think that this has happened. I've been watching it. We have a preschool at our church, and the preschoolers wearing masks for the first year in 2020 through the first part of 2021. If you're under five, you didn't have to wear a mask. And the CDC, along with the World Health Organization, UNICEF, other scientific bodies, they all agreed that little kids should not wear masks, that it's bad for them, that the overall health benefit is, is not there for the kids. Last year, about a year ago, the CDC changed. The WHO only recently changed, which I think is really interesting. If you've listened for a while on the show, I bring it up once in a while because of the two world organizations who do not agree about this. They are now in much more agreement. And uh, I'll admit to you, I'm cynical about that, that there's been a conversation um, between the two that says, how do we get on the same page here? And I'm wondering, is it because it's right or is it because – uh, there is another agenda, and i 'm pretty cynical about that, but I also believe that all of these things can really help us and If I can make a point here to you, this is an election year. this is a year that matters every year you know every time there 's an election year, people on both sides they say things like, "Oh, this is." Uh, the most important election of our lifetime. This is every year. It's the same thing. However you vote this year, it's going to determine the the future of democracy in general. That's where we've gone, basically. If you vote for the other guy, you're going to destroy democracy altogether. Um, you know what I think might be destroying democracy is that we are really eager to tear things down, but we're not eager to build things up, meaning that we are really eager to criticize even the CDC, or like I've been doing, or criticize organizations in different places without a solution. And we all can criticize, and we can do that, but we have to build it back up. It's bad. It's bad news for our country that the CDC does not have the, the respect that it had two years ago politically. What happens when there's a new pandemic that actually does mean we need to stay home and shut everything down and is far worse, and people are going to say, no, we heard you the last time, and that didn't turn out to be right, so forget it. That's concerning. We need to have better faith in our government institutions. Do you have some thought about this? 888-528-2557. David in Culver City, how you doing today, David? You know,
2: I'm doing well, uh, thanks for asking first of all you know two points number one you know your constant undermining of the cdc first of all our government followed what virtually all scientists and all western democracies followed that's actually not true No, no no hold
1: on hold on david that's actually that's true in a lot of points but it's not true for example in kids with masks it's not true at all we were the we agreed for the first year, but this past year we've disagreed with what other governments have said.
2: Oh, no, I don't agree with you. Most I governments can, have, been, no, no, have I, done I, masking. Well, I think you're wrong.
1: You can Google it. You can Google it. Just Google I, World I, Health I, Organization I and it. what they believed about it's, kids well, and masks. You know,
2: the, well, go ahead. Course, make your other make your that, other point, I David. You, well, you're, I, I know you want to justify being a conspiracy theorist about masks. But no,
1: no, 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 no. no. The, hold on. Hold on, David. Hold on. Hold on. I'm not a conspiracy theorist about masks. I've read. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Those are legitimate questions today. At one point, people said kind of universally, they're not, you know, they're not good questions, right? People are kicked off of their social media for bringing it up and everything like that. But the studies today are questioning whether or not particularly the cloth masks work. And that's this is this is main
2: point of science.
1: Right, I agree with that.
2: Science has gathered evidence as time goes on. Exactly. So what they initially said, of course, they revised as time yes. has gone
1: on. Right. Nobody
2: realized this is one of the first epidemics where asymptomatic people are responsible for passing it. One percent of people sixty and over have died from COVID in the United States. It's had a huge impact. So the reason people wear masks is not prevent getting it, to spreading it. That's the main impact. Is it 100%? Of, is it 50%? No. But it is effective in preventing spread. And there's no, there's, nobody in the CDC is making money from recommending vaccines and masks. And I'm kinda, we're
1: kind of losing you is, here, David, a little bit. David, I'm losing you, so I'm gonna, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate I appreciate your call, and I would I would stress one of the things that David was saying is that how the research continues, and that might change our opinion about different things. What I would encourage you to do, David, is go ahead and look it up. How the research has changed, and I think maybe that is a path to restoring the credibility of the CDC. But if you think that I'm doing it, then I would ask you to go Google late night comedy jokes about the CDC. Go Google what Saturday Night Live says about the CDC. What I'm arguing is that this is a problem, that it is a very significant problem, and we need to find a better solution because we need the CDC to be respected. And there are reasons why it isn't. One of those reasons is schools, especially masks and kids, especially the different things that have been said about that that did not agree with the world opinion, particularly in the past year. And you can look all of that up also. Now, the WHO recently changed, um, but until just a a couple of weeks ago, they have been saying that kids under five should not wear masks, that preschoolers should not wear masks except in extreme circumstances, and yet our preschools and kids are are being forced to wear them still in some places, and the point that I'm trying to make is that the science has adapted, and yet there's a lot of politics involved with all of that, and that it's destroying the institutions, and we're, we're not believing them. And you cannot run a country if you reduce everything to rubble and think it's going to work after that. There's more examples of that we can talk about it another time. You can join our conversation, 888-528-2557. This is Southern California Live. We'll be right back with this Tuesday edition. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody, to Southern California Live. Good to be with you today. It's fine Tuesday afternoon. I hope that you are having a good day. And before the break, I was talking about, kind of got off in a conversation about coronavirus and kind of how we feel about it, and today and some of the the rubble that is left behind, and the way that some people feel about the CDC not real sure it wants to trust its guidance on things and the changing of things. I think that there are, we have to understand that science does change that over time, science doesn't change, but the research changes in such a way that we get better results over time. And we start to understand things. That's why, that's why it's really bad when we say things like trust the science or I believe in science. It's like, well, you know, science used to teach that the purpose of the brain was to cool the blood because your blood would get too hot if you didn't have a brain. Um, well, eventually, science under, came to understand that the brain is the center of the nervous system of the body, that that's where you think, that's where it processes all the information going on in the Bible or the, in the brain. We understand that better in time. That's what science does. That's happening with everything going on with coronavirus. We understand the virus better. There's different therapies that have worked or not worked. Different things like that happen over time. But there is something that has occurred, too, though, where we have lost our ability to trust our institutions. We've been dealing with this for 50 years, the lack of, of trust in institutions, and it's part of the cynicism of a postmodern way of thinking, where this cynicism is built on the idea that there's no truth. The cynicism is built on the idea that I'm going to be suspect of everything, whether I ought to be suspect of it or not. That's a big part of what's behind the different critical theories, not just the critical race theory that's out there, but critical theory in general. Uh, you got to be careful when you talk about critical theory because it's very academic and particularly with the critical race theory and stuff, people start throwing everything under that banner that doesn't belong there. But what does belong there or in critical theory in general is the idea that you suspect wrongdoing and bad things from just about anything that's going on in society, that everything ultimately is a a construct, that there's no truth, okay? So there's there's no truth in uh, the approach that anybody is, is making to anything. And if you do that, then what happens is you're going to attack institutions, and maybe you got a reason, maybe there's legitimate criticism, but there's nothing left to build it up. Uh, we do that in the church, don't we? There's a lot of accusation that that is accurate about maybe some things that churches should do differently. But, you know, we're instructed scripturally to build up the church, that the purpose of us together is to build each other up, not to cover up, not to cover up bad things that uh, pastors have done or priests have done or other other people in the church, not to cover up those different things that create so much scandal. That's that's where it's been bad. But we're to encourage each other and to follow the scriptures for what we are to do with uh, the church, which in our country, really most of the world, is an institution. It's different in the United States. Nonprofit corporations and there's corporation law that that uh, I was going to say infects the way we do church. It's probably you know a good way to put it because it does get in the way sometimes. We start to think of church as the building, the address, when in fact the church is the people. Great studies out there about how many people go to church on a regular basis, and depending what study you look at. Um, some of them are as low as about 20% of Americans go to church on a regular basis, and then it depends on what you mean by regular. Is that every week? Is it once a month, once every six weeks? What's regular? Uh, how do you define that? So between 20 and 40% of Americans go to church regularly, most of the surveys will say. But here's another way to look at it. I would say that 100% of Americans, just about, are in church every week, 100%. And the reason why is that almost 100%, I would say, of Americans interact with a Christian person somewhere every week on a regular basis. There's somebody that you work with. You might be the only Christian in your office, but if you are there, then everybody in your office is a church because you're there, because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, that's a different way to look at it, isn't it? And that's where we need to build up as much as we can. Build up the church. The church is Jesus' wife. He probably gets tired of the criticism. And you know what? When we talk about the other institutions in our our country, the courts, um, the CDC, the government, other things, we have to be real careful about our approach because if we're just simply criticizing it and tearing it down, it leads to rubble. Even if there is something legitimate to criticize. I'm motivated by an article that was on Substack this week. You can join our conversation, by the way. This is Southern California Live. The number is 888-528-2557 if you want to join the conversation. I always encourage people to put that in your phone just so that if you ever want to join the conversation, the number is already there, 888-528-2557. And you can just tell your phone to call, and, and there you are. You're part of the show. You can look up this article. It's called A Cop's Eye View of Seattle's Undoing, and it's reflecting on almost two years of all the stuff that went on in Seattle after, uh, the riots, um, after the George Floyd, uh, killing and all of that. And what happened in Seattle over time, it kind of moved on from that specific thing. Remember they put up the, uh, the Chaz, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, Chaz, it was called. We had some fun with that. I had something called the Senior Pasture Autonomous Zone. It was called SPAZ. And we did a spaz episode every day during all that. But this, this talks about the disaster that's happened in Seattle. I think it's relevant to us because we're following in that path. The, this February, just a couple months ago, the new mayor of Seattle made it official. He said, our city is in decline. He said, the truth is the status quo is unacceptable. He says, it seems like every day I hear stories of longtime small businesses closing their doors for good and leaving our city. And the thing is, it's not just small businesses. It's even the big employers. Amazon closing a 312,000-square-foot office space downtown. And the reason they're doing it is crime. And this article goes on to talk about a police officer's uh, view of what happened during that period of time. And it's very long. I won't get into all of it. You can read it if you want to go online. It's called A Cop's Eye View of Seattle's Undoing. But I think it's good reading because it reminds us, particularly in our our town where crime is going up, where the LAPD is telling you not to wear your your jewelry when you go out, when we're seeing videos of people getting robbed in their cars, when we are seeing the number one issue for for people in all communities, by the way, in every community in polls is, is crime and safety and jobs and the economy. All of those things are actually what people say they're most concerned about. Um, this article talks about why the crime has increased in particular in Seattle. I was up there a few weeks ago and it's crazy. There are chop shops, okay? They steal vehicles and then there are chop shops that are happening just out in the open downtown in a vacant lot, parking lot, the business is closed and, uh, you can go pick up whatever car parts you want from, um, stolen vehicles that are just sitting there in the open and the police aren't doing a thing about it. Uh, That's coming here. That's already happening in San Francisco, and it's coming coming to Los Angeles and San Diego. My my view is it's just coming right down the left coast, just starting in Seattle, and it's just to Portland. And uh, man, I did a wedding with a family that was from Portland, and they were just grieved at what's happening in their city a couple of weeks ago. Just grieved, you know, and wishing almost they didn't have to go back, and so sad. This is happening. And what you get from the uh, police officers here is this story about how often the police just had to give up. They said that they would just see that officers were parking in parking garages and just sitting there for most of the day because they weren't allowed to make arrests for misdemeanors if people were stealing from the CVS or wherever, just not allowed to do anything. If they saw somebody climb a fence suspiciously, they weren't allowed to question that person. They weren't allowed to be a part of that at all. And it just got worse and worse and worse. One officer, Mike Megan, said that one of the robbery squads just decided they weren't going to work anymore. They wouldn't leave the office. They wouldn't help you on search warrants. They wouldn't come out and conduct interviews with you. They wouldn't come out and track track video. It was heartbreaking. And he says at the end here, another, another officer says this, I'm actually a left-wing guy on just about every issue, says Christopher Young, Officer Young. I want the United States to be a Scandinavian-style welfare state. That's what he wants. So he's very left-wing on this. He's very sympathetic, he says. So I'm very sympathetic to people's concerns. Uh, He wants to form a complementary department, police department of 100 people, compromising community service officers, social workers, and others who could do the sort of enforcement that doesn't require a gun. He thinks that would have been a worthy experiment. Lots of police officers think that, by the way, when you talk to – Officers. It's just that you can't do that if you're going to defund, right? It costs a lot more money. Uh, there's lots of police officers who don't want to be the, the social worker. They're not trained to do that, and they would be pleased to have that. But this person says, but they didn't do that. They just demonized the police and chased good people out of town. This is the rubble that we are leaving our, our nation in. That when we get caught up in some of these issues, we just attack and we leave rubble and we forget that it's people. It's people on the other side. It's business owners who were out of business because of the violence that happened up there and the CHAZ that uh, shut down just about everybody. It's police officers who can't be up 24-7. They had to work 24-hour shifts, seven days a week, 16-hour shifts it says, um, day after day after day during that period of time. My friends, we have to try to build each other up. It doesn't mean that there aren't problems. It doesn't mean that there aren't things that are worthy of criticism. But a voice that we can have is to try to be more positive, even if we're being critical. It's hard. You know, I try to do it. I've got my own set of, you know, cynicism about things. But we have to recognize that if we want our country to succeed, if we want the world to get better, we have to build up. And if we need to tear down, we have to replace it with something better or replace it as it was meant to be. Just something to encourage you to do is uh, coming up here in just a few weeks is the pastor's appreciation breakfast and appreciation breakfast for uh, our first responders. And at KKLA is sponsoring this. It's Thursday, May 12th, the Hyatt Regency of Orange County. If you know a first responder, if you're a first responder, you know, it might be very encouraging to bring them to this, to this breakfast. It begins at 830 and uh, what a great opportunity to be there. If you're a pastor or part of church staff, you're welcome to go. I'm going to be there. I'm looking forward to that. San Diego has its Pastor Appreciation Breakfast the day before on Wednesday, May 11th. For KKLA listeners, go to kkla.com and click on the banner for KPRZ listeners. You can do that at KPRZ also, and uh, check it out. But I think this is a great opportunity to build up your pastor, your people at church who have worked really hard without a lot of acknowledgement in some ways for what's happened in the last couple of years and for your, your first responders also to build them up and to say, hey, you know what, we've got a lot of things that we need to address and a lot of things that we need to fix. But let's make sure we don't tear down the people who are going to fix it. Let's make sure that we're not tearing down those people who are working hard behind the scenes, most of whom are not the problem, most of whom are doing a really good job in historically difficult situations. This is Southern California Live. We'll be back in just a few more minutes. Thank you for listening and stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. We're almost through with two hours of conversation today. You can still join the conversation. It's 888-528-2557, 2, 888-528-2557. Did you know, this is happening in Major League Baseball, that the Dodgers have hired a marketing agency to sell the naming rights to Dodger Stadium Field and, and an advertising patch to go on the uniforms? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess you got to pay those salaries, you know, somehow. But I guess they're going to change the name. Lots of stadiums now, you know, there's a corporate name, different place, Chase Field, and there's different banks, you know, that run the fields or different companies. T-Mobile Field, I think, is in Seattle And apparently the Dodgers are going to, it's going to be Dodger Stadium or something field. So it'll be, you know, Unical Field at, if that was politically correct, it would be Unical, right? That would make sense. Unical Field at Dodger Stadium. So it's going to be some corporation field at Dodger Stadium. I guess that's what it's going to be or something else. Maybe we can raise some money and call it uh, Southern California Live Field at Dodger Stadium. I could go for that. Um, We can all, you know, not really don't send any money, don't do anything like that. Uh, I don't think we're in the running for all of that. I just thought it was, it's just interesting. I don't know if that's good or bad, just more advertising in our face for different things. Um, There's a lot more serious things going on in the world. We haven't talked about Ukraine for a while. And, you know, I wonder if uh, we're just getting used to the fact that there's a war over there and it's, it's really still very scary. You know, the next couple of weeks is going to tell us a lot. What's, what's nerve wracking is the nuclear weapon saber rattling that we're we're hearing over there that you know that will immediately change our attention right it will bring us right back to it Uh, defense secretary lloyd austin today responded uh to this and like are we going to rattle our nuclear sabers back this was his response clip three
2: nobody uh, wants to see a
1: nuclear war happen happen it's a war that you know or, or all sides lose and so uh rattling of saber sabers and and, uh, you know, dangerous rhetoric it is clearly unhelpful and something that uh, we won't engage in. I was glad to hear that. I was glad to hear the, the statement. I hope that's what they really believe, that a nuclear exchange, all sides lose. One of the problems with the, the discussion of nuclear weapons and the discussion of the uses of them is that people start to believe, um, sometimes people in different militaries, different places around the world that maybe you could win a nuclear war. But uh, I don't think you do. I think everybody's a loser um, if there was an exchange of nuclear weapons. And uh, so that's going on. So keep, keep this situation in your prayers. You need to pray for uh, Defense Secretary Austin and pray for President Biden. Pray for the world leaders around the world who are the ones who are going to make decisions that hopefully will resolve this situation. Uh, I think the war is going to go on for a long time probably, but now there's some discussion that Ukraine could actually win, although I don't know what winning is if your country is destroyed in the process, but I guess winning is, is not losing. Um, but it is continues to be a, a tragic, tragic human catastrophe, lots of death, lots of destruction, um, and it's just very, very, very bad. There is a a monument that the Ukrainians are tearing down which I think is symbolic of a lot of what's going on. There's a there's a friendship monument, um, a Russian-Ukrainian friendship monument. It's a big arch um, over, you know, kind of this, uh, you know, place like a monument you would have, like we've got at the uh, National Mall. They have this in Kyiv, and it's a big arch, and somebody painted a crack right in the, at the top of it. Looks like it's split in half, and there's a statue underneath of of workers, basically, representing shaking hands and representing Russian-Ukrainian friendship. And the large monument is uh, was put together in 1982 to commemorate the reunification of Ukraine and Russia. Um, and the mayor is tearing it down, which I think you would. You'd probably understand. You know, it's really hard to be friends uh, at this point. He said the dismantling has started today, and we plan to finish it tonight. So they're just going to get rid of that whole thing today. I don't know about the arts. The arts looks huge Um, But the statues they're tearing down, removing the bronze statue of two workers installed at the center of the Capitol in 1982. And he said that Russia has now demonstrated a barbaric desire to destroy our state and peaceful Ukrainians. Uh, So that is a a pretty big deal. Um, It is uh, very significant um, that we're seeing this happen. And the war is continuing to rage and lots of different things going on. Our our government has, uh, we haven't sent President Biden over there yet, but our diplomats were over there um, and our diplomats are going back over there. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken uh, went over there, met with President Zelensky. I thought that's good. And uh, it sends a message that we're involved. It's such a fine line, isn't it? The, the role of the United States in all of this. It's a fine line that... The United States is essentially arming the people of Ukraine and probably offering a lot of intelligence. What is it? Nine Russian generals have been killed in all of this. And what I I heard somebody the other day say that, well, we have intelligence on where they are. All we got to do is pass it on and they can send something over there and take them out. Nine generals taken out. Uh, That's not real good if you were the Russian side from a military standpoint. Um, That is is going on. How are you feeling about it? Does it? Has it just left your mind? Is it something that you feel like is um, not really uh, important anymore? Is it something that uh, with our own problems with inflation, gas prices, I think a lot of things have, have changed our focus a little bit from it. And we don't need to be focused on it except that we should keep an eye on it and we should be in prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are over there who are, who are suffering. Did you know that Ukraine is the largest mission-sending country in all of Europe? That more missionaries, Christian missionaries, are sent from Ukraine throughout Europe and throughout the world than any other country in Europe. I think that has something to do with what this is about. Spiritually, there's always something behind the scenes. There's always something going on spiritually that is meant to um, disrupt whatever is happening for the faith. You know, I believe that. I believe that we don't always know what's happening spiritually. I think we make up a lot of things and we kind of look for things that maybe really aren't there. Uh, There was a bunch of people a few years ago who uh, hiked up part of Mount Everest to uh, shout down some kind of uh, witch demon, and uh, I don't think that was worth anybody's time. I think that was just kind of crazy. Um, We go down the wrong path, spiritually speaking, on a lot of things a lot of the time but we should be very aware that there are spiritual things happening in the world. Have you paid attention to the violence that's been happening on Temple Mount in Jerusalem? That has been pretty significant, and it has moved into people wondering in Jerusalem whether it's time to start building the temple. Now, there's a lot of things that people get into with prophecy, and you've got to be really careful. You have to be careful. People have tried to connect dots with different things that happen in history and connect them to prophecy and say, oh, this is happening now. You know, we've got to remember that for 2000 years, people have thought that the return of Christ was imminent. But when you start to see violence on Temple Mount, uh, which happened just a week ago, that was pretty significant. And then you see continuing calls to say that, you know what, maybe this is the time, um, to build the temple an article in the Jerusalem Post last week said when blood spills on Passover and Easter that 's when the violence happened over that weekend um, maybe it 's time to build the temple that 's in the Jerusalem Post okay this is not uh, you know somebody 's blog that they're just posting somewhere about this and you know when I read that and you know more than an eyebrow you know comes up to say oh You know, I don't know the timing of Jesus's return, and I don't want to suggest that I do. I don't want to say that it's happening right now. I like to say that it could be, but it also could be that all of this chaos and all of the strange stuff that's happening might be the beginning of a great revival, that we haven't had a great revival in a long time, and that maybe everything that we're seeing, all of this turmoil, this bizarre discussion that we're having about so many different things in our culture. Maybe what it's going to do is drive people actually to say, now I wonder what actually is true. We've sort of left truth in the dust, and we've claimed that everything that we have believed to be true, that human beings have always believed to be true, uh, is just some kind of social construct, and so we can construct new constructs. That's kind of the idea. Well, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work. It just leaves everything in, in rubble. Maybe we're going to have a time of revival, but at the same time, when I take a look and I see people say, oh, let's build the temple. People from the Jerusalem Post, where I'm finding this article. Uh, that's significant, my friend. And whatever it means, whether this happens now or this happens sometime in the future, it's a reminder that God's word is true. That if you're wondering what's happening, if you're worried about the world around us, if you are thinking that we are living in a time that doesn't make any sense, Actually, it makes plenty of sense when you read your Bible and you understand where the world is headed. History is barreling toward everything that's described in the Bible about the end times. We are racing towards that. And whether that's happening in the next few years or it's happening a thousand years from now, because maybe that's God's plan, um, we don't know. But whatever the case is, when you read about this kind of stuff, it tells you something. It should give you some confidence that God's word is true that the promises that God has made, not just about history, but the promises that God has made to you personally, the promises that God has made that whoever believes in Christ will have everlasting life, the promises that God has made that Jesus is off preparing a place for you, that he will one day return for you. Those promises are true. Can I leave you with that today as we talk about things going on in the world? Be encouraged. Be encouraged that with all the craziness in the world, God is not confused by it. This is part of God's plan, and history is barreling towards a time where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That's a promise. That's happening. All right, friends, we're out of time. Thanks for being with us today on Southern California Live. Go to kkla.com to check out the events and things going on, kprz.com, podcast, everything is there. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be back tomorrow. God bless. Have a great evening